Hi, this is John Cho and Lynn Hilton Wilson uh, here at Book of Mormon Central. And we are here to discuss uh, the Old Testament and the Come Follow Me. And uh, we really have three things we want to cover. One is, how does this bring me closer to Christ, especially from a doctrinal point of view? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And uh, how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? That sounds like a pretty tall order, John. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can we'll, do it. We'll touch on it. The tip of the iceberg is here. All those things actually come to pass in your own scripture study. We're just here to motivate scripture study. Fair and enough. hopefully all of those things will come to pass. <laughs> well, we're looking at Genesis 1 through 3, which covers three really big topics, um, the creation and the fall. And then in modern revelation, we really have agency, which is a critical component too. And so I want to start with creation, um, you know, Genesis 1 in the beginning. Yeah. We have, in modern relation, we have more than one version uh, of the creation. You know, we, we are so blessed to have at least three creation accounts, um, Genesis, Moses, and Abraham. But we also have creation mentioned all over the Book of Mormon. And it is not mentioned all over the Bible, which really surprises me. Um, you know, I did some word counting. I've blocked things out. I've looked for you know, Eden and fall and agency and, you know, a hundred words I looked up trying to see where they were in scripture. And, and it's just enormous amount in the Book of Mormon and very little. But the three creation counts were so blessed that the Lord commanded Joseph right after the church is organized, you know, right. June 1830, get to the Bible, start translating the Bible. And I feel like the best part of the Joseph Smith translation is those first 24 chapters in Genesis, where Joseph's writing, Joseph's scribe is writing everything out longhand, and Joseph is given an enormous about of revelation on what to add. You know, Moses chapter one is one of my favorite chapters in all scripture, and it it, it isn't even in our Bibles. You know, unfortunately, Genesis did not even have a word there. And I just feel like if, if the Joseph Smith translation was nothing more than a better understanding of the creation and fall and agency, it was an enormous blessing. Yeah. But, it, of course, the Joseph Smith translation is much more than that. But um, that's the Book of Moses. So our Book of Moses is the Joseph Smith translation of those first few chapters in Genesis. And, of course, we get all into Enoch, and we'll get there in a few months uh, at the rate we're going and come follow me. But the beauty of the accounts being slightly different in Abraham is because we don't have Abraham's full record. Joseph Smith translated much more than was actually published in the Times and Season. And then when the missionaries are over in Great Britain and they want to teach the new converts about these beautiful truths, they take the articles from the Times and Seasons and they publish them in their little pamphlet called The Pearl of Great Price, which is then brought back to the state, which is then canonized a few decades later. You know, So it all fell into place like dominoes, but Joseph translated a lot more than we have. So the creation account is beautiful in Abraham, but it ends quite abruptly. And we don't get all the richness that the book of Moses has. So we have Genesis that we believe, according to our articles of faith, um, it has been changed. Um, you know, the Bible um, in the Book of Mormon's account has been um, edited and changed. And of course it has been. I mean, it's thousands of years old. Of course right. it has been. You know, right. I mean, that's not new to anybody. But... Um, what a blessing to have the Lord's revealing to his prophet. And I don't think that 
necessarily every word that was given to Joseph Smith in that first Moses 1 was originally in those plates, but it's what Joseph needed to learn and um, perhaps it was the exact word. We'll find out when we get to heaven. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I'm just not going to let that issue become a, a testimony a breaker for me. You know, you know, this is Joseph, where Joseph was then, and what the Lord needed him to teach is in the book of Moses. What the Lord wanted him to learn, I mean, what the Lord taught him is in there. But one of the things that I love is I compare those three. I, I always cut and paste all three and put them on a, in a parallel fashion. And then I highlight in different colors, you know, which is added. It is empowering to me to read the creation account in first person. I love Moses saying, I, God, created. And um, another enormous addition, I feel, in the three accounts is Abraham giving us all this time messages. He says, this is just a, it's not a day, it's it's a period of creation. You know, these this could be an enormous amount of time according to the mortal planet. And the only thing he describes is the, the day in, is a thousand years to Kolob, but does a thousand mean a thousand to us? Probably not. You know, in Hebrew, it's their largest number. So you have 10,000s or 100,000s at this time in ancient in ancient writings. Uh, in the Semitic languages, you have hundreds of thousands, but thousands is as long as they get. So, you know, one day is a thousand years. It may not be exactly. Obviously, they were doing lunar calendars, not solar calendars. So I just feel like the timing needs to be relaxed. You know, we do not believe in 724-hour periods. And luckily, Abraham helps us with that. But Abraham helps us with so much more, just understanding what Kolob is and that that we are in different time zones and that don't get frustrated when you're looking at other earths. Realize that it's just our earth that we're being taught about. That's Moses. That's Moses. But um, I love comparing and contrasting the creation accounts, not only in those major three accounts, but looking also at 2 Nephi. 2 Nephi 2, 2 Nephi 9, um, King Benjamin's sermon, powerful Samuel the Lamanite. I mean, we have so many places. Moroni. Uh, I could just keep going. It's in. Uh, there are references to the creation and the fall in every book of the Book of Mormon, except these three tiny ones: Words of Mormon, <laughs> Enos, and you know, I mean, just you know, three tiny that are one chapter long. Everything else has references to the creation. Do you have a favorite one in the Book of Mormon? I do. Since I led the question, I'll answer it. I love when Alma confronts Korahor oh. and he's testifying of Christ, right? Because this, this goes back to the three questions we started with, right? How does this bring me to Christ? And of course, how does the Book of Mormon Old Testament relate? And, um, you know, of all the ways that Alma could have testified of Christ, right? Of all the ways that he could confront this antichrist that was coming yeah. before him, right? Um, he chooses the creation. Right, it's like you know, my testimony is that the planets themselves, right? Which I love, and uh, I love studying the creation overall. Um, just even from a, a secular point of view, it's just so wonderful to me um, how that has, um, with the light of the gospel, all the things you just covered, right? About that creation time, I was thinking about space time and all of these, you yeah, know, nerdy I, I gotta, things. I gotta pause here. I gotta tell our audience. John is a stargazer. You know, this is a man who really loves astrophysics. This is a guy who in his pastime will will look at the stars. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and part of it is because it, it does draw me closer, as Alma says, to to Christ and to um, to the testimony of, of, uh, of creation. And let me just read this Korahor here. This is Korahor speaking from Alma chapter 30, 
verse 17. Every man fared in his life according to the management of the creature. Therefore, every man prospered according to the genius that every man conquered according to his strength. Whatsoever man does is no crime. I mean, you know, this is the context that he's saying from the creation. Yeah. But what he, I have to take Alma 30 and take it in the context of King Benjamin's sermon. Because yeah. King Benjamin says the natural man, this is, this is actually Mosiah 3. Um, the natural man is an enemy to God. And then looking at verse 19, he says, he has been since the fall of Adam and he will be forever unless he yields to the enticings of the spirit. Now that's how we put off the natural man. Uh, the natural man is mentioned elsewhere in scripture, but we are never taught the way to overcome it until the Book of Mormon. And King Benjamin just nails it on the head. Uh, we can overcome the fall through following the spirit. And the spirit I see as this bridge to the atonement, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the spirit is what leads us to repentance. And then our Savior is what can provide. The spirit actually is the cleansing agent, isn't it? Remember when Joseph yeah. says, um, what's that statement about the bag of sand? Um, you might as well baptize a bag of sand than, <laughs> than baptize somebody without being receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because yeah. the Spirit is the cleansing agent. What, what, even when John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist says, I come down to baptize you with water, but he who cometh after me will baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's in the power of the Spirit to enable us to repent, to be cleansed, and to receive and apply the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's that's King Benjamin's sermon right there. Yeah. Well, I have, an, I have a follow-up question to this because I'm I'm sitting here looking at Genesis 1, 28, and this is the first commandment, right? And the God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and every other living thing that moves upon it. When you when you're reading that verse on Korah, that's what I thought of. You know, I just quotes I had this in front of me. Is like, do you think that Korahor among you know you know, we'll get more into the fall in just a minute? Actually, this may be a good segue into that. But the follow up is in have dominion over the fish of the sea and you know this this idea of, this idea of dominion like well, following he, he's the first a stewardship. commandment. To me, it's the law of consecration. You know, this is his stewardship. It's Jesus teaches it in his parables. It's beautiful. We want you to serve. You are my servant. God is asking Adam and Eve to serve. Well, initially, just Adam, right? I mean, Adam is the only one that actually is initially called to take care of the garden. So I have a question here, because now we're getting into how uh, Satan can manipulate. Um, and of course, the first instance is, you know, precursor to the fall, right? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because Moses 1 gives us more information on Satan than we have in all the Old Testament. We also get a lot of information on Satan in chapter in Moses 4 and in Moses 3. You know, I mean, we, we learn about Satan. And also, I think 2 Nephi 2 is another powerful one on who Satan is. But Satan has been removed from the Old Testament. And I did not realize that. You know, I, I was not a convert to the church. I've been born and raised in this faith tradition, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I did not realize that Satan has has been removed. In fact, there's a great modern book by a great biblical scholar that I admire who wrote a book, You'll Have a Devil of a Time Finding Satan in the Old Testament. I mean, this is the title of the book, you know? Right, right. <laughs> just, just fabulous because, but it's restored. And the word Satan and devil are not even in the book of Genesis. Temptation, tempt, they're not even there. Serpent. No right. wonder they start. Yeah, the, the serpent is the one who's having the problem. You know, So when we get to the fall, that's the conversation that other faith traditions who are biblically based 
see it as a conversation between a female and and, a, and an animal that is referred to as a serpent or a sea creature or something. But um, as we look at Genesis or Moses 1, I really feel like we are, understand that Satan is a usurper. He's a counterfeit. He has a pre-mortal existence. He understands the Father's will, and he chooses to disobey it. And all of that is couched as a preliminary to understanding the creation, which I think is powerful that the sequence that Joseph received in this translation is starting by saying, let's learn who the enemy is. Yeah, we really don't understand the purpose of the creation at all in the Old Testament, do we? I mean, I, I grew up in the well, Deep South. Well, that's came up with creation ex nihilo. You know, it's right. out of nothing. Exactly, exactly. So, so... You were talking about the South? Yeah, I grew up in the South with but a lot of Protestants. Let's, yeah, come on, good, let's get your accent question, here, you know? Question. With a name like Cho, I'd expect you to have a Chinese <laughs> accent, and now you're not telling me you're from the South. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's some reasons for that that I don't know, <laughs> but uh, my, my mom does have an accent. It's quite nice. Um, but the, the question, uh, so I grew up around, you know, very religious, mostly Protestant, right? Uh, with some with some Catholic background. So, so uh, and it was wonderful, wonderful uh, time growing up there. Um, but their view on the creation is quite different than ours, right? Uh, you know, we have a better understanding, especially from the Book of Mormon and others, uh, other scriptures, like you said, Moses and so on, about what the purpose of creation is from the beginning, right? But let's they, just stop but and do, let's... Do they have that? Let's recite the purpose. I mean, I, I really feel like that is... Should have been stated right at the beginning. Moses chapter 1, verse 39. Everything God does, everything he does for us is for our benefit. This is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man or of humanity. Amen. That really sets the stage for the creation, doesn't it? That's why we have the creation. We needed a second estate. It's such a short scripture though. It's so <laughs> important, right? Yeah. Memorize it. Susan. Right, yeah. right. And I, of course, I think, you know, in relation to the fall, which we'll, which we'll cover, um, you know, Adam felt that they might be and men are that they might have joy. Yes. And for me, those are the same scripture almost, Second Nephi, right? 2, yeah. 25 and 26. Right, yeah. right. So, um I mean, how, what's the impact? I mean, you've studied multiple phases. I kind of grew up around lots of other phases, but um, what is the impact of just oh, those two short scriptures? That is, that is such a great question. I feel like of all the gifts of the restoration, the priesthood, the saving ordinances, the temple, the gathering of Israel, the preparing for the second coming, um, the understanding of the fall and the creation, and the atonement, and agency would have answered hundreds of years of the great philosophical questions, starting from the Greeks on down. They were probably way back in the Egyptians, and I just haven't read it. But really empowering to say this piece of information in the Restoration is up there in the top 10 gifts of the Restoration. I'm convinced. Understanding the reasons behind why did we have a fall? Why did we need an earth? You know, that's where the Greeks go off. You know, we were better before we came to earth. And that's where this creation ex nihilo stuff is. God has so much control. You know, the translators of the King James translations are Calvinists. They believe everything is predestined. You know, they just do not give us 
And it's not just the the King James. I could list right. a hundred right. other translations that also <laughs> have different theological background. And that's why I think when um, – who's our great theologian of uh, my grandparents' generation? Um, Brother Clark said, we have to use the King James Version until we raise up a people who are pregnant in the doctrines of the Restoration who are also equally gifted in the understanding of Greek and Hebrew and the ancients so that they can then give a more accurate interpretation. And I feel like that's where we are now. We have Brother Nibley. We have um, John W. Wells. We have, and I can list 25 names of great biblical scholars who are giving us other translations. And we also have, in addition to Joseph Smith's um, translation in the Book of Moses and his and his new translation, uh, which he referred to as the new translation, we also have, of course, his sermons that he often yeah. elaborated on. But going back to the creation, I really feel like um, the, the question of God's understanding allows us to receive the principle of agency and receive right. the idea of the fall. I, I think, you know, this is, this is uh, as you were talking, this is the, the thought that popped in my head that, that perhaps the fall is actually really part of the creation, Right. It seems so, especially if we look at, you know, Adam felt that it might be. Well, certainly the creation was needed in order for um, God to have a place for all of his children to live. I don't know if the fall had to be exactly the way it did because we know there's worlds without number. Good insight. So, well, do you want to uh, talk about the fall? Uh, I do. Let's go <laughs> on to the fall. So because okay. because uh, we covered one of the two commandments, right? And and there's a second, right? So um, first one, of course, multiply and replenish the earth. The second one is like, I've got these trees. Don't, don't touch this one. Right? And you can eat don't, anything don't, else. Anything yeah. you want. Knowledge of good and evil. Right. Yeah. Other knowledge is okay. Yeah. Right. Tree life is okay. Okay. Knowledge so, of good and evil. Don't touch it. I do or not, you'll die. I don't right? think they're contradictory. I, I know that that is often, you know, but logically, if I understand God's purpose and his nature from this scripture and from modern revelation. I do not see that it is a requirement for us to break one of God's commandments in order to receive his blessings. Now, yes, we have to be sinful in order to receive the atonement, but that is not a requirement. I just feel like, oh, no, no, no. That is the wrong way of looking at it. So I believe it's a matter of sequence. I believe it's a matter of timing. Um, From the very beginning, Satan has had this role of being a counterfeit. He's a usurper. And I feel that, um, well, let's just go to the scriptures. Let's let's just open up here in our in our text. Um, we're told um, not to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, but I'm wondering if it's a little bit like the commandment of the law of chastity. We want you to multiply and replenish the earth, but we want you to wait until you have married. I live the law of chastity now as a married woman. I lived the law of chastity before I was married. And it's a matter of sequence and timing. Are there other things that you can think of of commandments where God, um, okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking of one, um, the temptations of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I think, I mean, well, to answer your question daily, I mean, this seems to be my, 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 uh, my struggle daily is, is an issue with timing and, and the Lord. But um, I'm thinking of, you know, the first temptation about turning stone into bread. Yeah, that's a perfect example. If he, if he does it to satisfy his own physical appetites, if he does it for his own desires, um, and he takes it from the hand of the adversary, he might satisfy his own hunger. 
But he then doesn't have the opportunity to fulfill God's plan, which is to create food for 5,000 men plus women and children in one setting and 4,000 men plus women and children in another setting. You know, So we have thousands and thousands of people that God is able to bless through this miraculous thing. And Jesus is going to eat again. The issue is not eating, and it's not making something miraculous happen to feed others. To me, the issue is, are we following the adversary or are we following God? To me, that's the bottom line on the, on the Satan's usurping. He's always trying to take over God's role and do it his way. I think so. The, the, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm most wary of when it comes to temptation um, and how I recognize it, because it's, it's always mixed in something you're supposed to be doing, right? You know, you're supposed to eat, right? But, yeah. you know, it's now, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also the purpose. I mean, what, what was Satan really after, oh. right? Because we talk about, I mean, during this temptation. That's thought-provoking. Yeah. Look at the purpose of this. You know? yeah, yeah, you have to, because I find myself when I'm rationalizing doing something stupid, it's not, I, t- I find it's like I tie it back to something that's supposed to be good. And I, of course, I have the timing all wrong, right? Yeah. You know, whatever that may be. I mean, but the, uh, the um, within the Savior's context in the New Testament, where we have that record of, of the bread and the stone and um, and other temptations, this is during his time of fasting, right? Yeah. And if he gives that up, he's breaking his fasts. Um, and um, that and fast it's is pur- so... It's, it's, his, it's his purification period, right? That's and right. It's 40 days. Right. Purification we'll see all over the Old Testament. This whole year, we're going to see 40, 40, 40. Right. They're all a purification period. We're told that when a woman has to wait 40 days after a son's born, that's her purification. So, And 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 the Joseph Smith translation helps us on that one. He, he went to the wilderness to commune with God, yeah. not to be tempted the devil. <laughs> that's right. We don't, we don't seek temptations. You know? that, that, that's a very helpful. That's right. But, 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 but the, uh, the idea that, you know, timing is an issue, I think helps deal with temptation a little bit. Well, yeah. And I'll go back to the scriptures on that. Cause I don't think there are two contradictory commandments, not only for the timing, but let's just, let's just go back to Moses one thirty three. Um, God created quote worlds without number by his son. So if Satan is trying to usurp the son's role here, Satan is saying, I'm the boss. I'm the God of this world. Um, But we learn from Moses 1, God created worlds without number. We know that Satan was around then. He has a premortal existence, and he knew what was done on other worlds. We also know from Moses 7, when the Lord is talking to Enoch, and I don't know if you remember this one, but when the Lord is talking to Enoch, he said, this world was the most wicked of all of his creations. That's Moses seven thirty six. Um, so if this is the most wicked world, I have to ask myself, why? And I think it's also answered in, in Moses in the same discussion, but it's a little bit earlier. It's Moses chapter four, verse three, where it says, Satan sought to destroy the agency of man. And actually this text, Moses four, takes us back to the creation accounts. So if Satan's desire is to destroy man's agency and this is the most wicked world and Satan knew what was done in other worlds, can't we see Satan usurping Christ in the garden saying, eat it now, take it from my hand. Don't wait for God's timing. Don't wait for God's sequence. Do it now, do it my way. So that's why I paused when you said, but don't we need the fall? Yes, we had to come to earth. And yes, we had to be in a fallen nature. Yes, we had to experience mortality. But Lehi is the one who says, I think it's Lehi, it might, it's in 2 Nephi, I don't remember the exact verse, but he says, um, 
we needed a probationary period. Maybe it's Jacob. Maybe it's chapter 9. I, anyway, I forgot where it is in 2 Nephi. But we needed a probationary period in order to repent of our sins. And, you know, the second estate, I see it more as, a, as another growth step. You know, the first estate was to learn all we could in that sphere. And now we're in a second estate. We're to progress and learn and grow and develop line upon line. And um, part of that progression is learning how to have a spousal relationship how to have a relationship of mutuality between the people that we're working with. And part of this fall is Adam and Eve learning how to work together. I think that stitches together that, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, right? Amen. <laughs> it also and, that's, and that's the plural man there. Don't, don't forget right. that the, the word in, in King James there is, is plural. Uh, yeah, yeah. Adam can be a lot of words in plural and singular both, yeah. So, so we, we get this idea that, of course, the creation has a divine purpose. And modern revelation gives us such fundamental insight through really very short verses. But as you said, one of the great gifts of the, of the, of the restoration that insight. And then we go into, of course, two, two different commandments and we talk about the timing, but what caught my eye in this, in this latest reading of the Old Testament were the trees themselves, right? Yeah. So we have the tree of life. Obviously there's a cherubim flaming sword placed around the tree so that we could have this probationary period. But this, there's also the tree of life in the Book of Mormon. Oh, right? I'm so glad you brought that up. And so I love this imagery, like one of my best imageries, uh, one of my favorite imageries in all of scripture is Lehi's journey, right? Yeah. And you, you, he goes through the fall a little bit, right? He, yeah. he has this yeah, dream. Yeah, the vision really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has this dream where he sees Christ and he follows him. And then through no explanation, he finds himself in the midst of darkness, you know, looking for the, the iron rod. And of course he finds himself at the tree of life. One of the questions I have here is, is this the same tree of life? Right? It's, it's, yeah, they're they're named the same, I'm but so I, they seem different. They seem different. There is so much research on different tree of life imageries in different cultures. Did you know that even the lotus in Egyptian thought is the tree of life? And the menorah in the... Um, ancient temple and tabernacle is the tree of life, you know, and it's standing right before the veil. And so you pluck of the tree of life as you, well, the, only the high priest does, other priests aren't allowed to, but when the high priest on the day of atonement, this is all in Leviticus 16, we'll talk about it more then, you know, but that tree of life image is scattered all across faith traditions, both biblical and non-biblical. We see this image of a tree that will provide not only um, immortality, but God's love. And it's fabulous. So the fact that God says you can't eat of it, as a child, I used to think, oh, what a mean God. Right. You, know, you know, I used to think, right. I want to eat Lehi's tree. I want to eat it. Why in the Garden <laughs> of Eden can Adam and Eve not eat it? You know, But I didn't understand that in conjunction with the tree of life, we also have that beautiful um, sermon on the need for a probationary state to repent so that we are not taken in our sins. And as I look at other faith traditions, starting with the Greek Orthodox in Christianity, as well as Russian Orthodox, and all the way down through the Protestant Reformation, um, we lose this understanding that we could not have come to earth in a paradisiacal state. You know, they think we could have lived in paradise. They think the whole fall is about something between the Eve and the, and the serpent. You right. know, and they, they blew it. They, they blew it, and the rest of us have been suffering ever since, you know. But when I look at the fall, I see God giving natural consequences to the broken commandments. 
And the commandment was, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to be a steward. I want you to, I love other translations. One of them is called, um, in, in the TEB, the, the Transparent English Bible, it says, I want you to guard the garden, which I think is very interesting in light that Satan comes shortly thereafter. And, you know, Eve says, now, who are you? Um, as if she were taking that guardianship of, I want you to guard the garden. I, anyway, I thought that was interesting that that's the translation of dress. And, you know, in King James, we use a little different words, you know, dress and care for it or whatever. But um, one of them, another translation is, I want you to serve in the garden. And this is their responsibility. They, they're, hu- the nature of humanity is such that we can not only receive a stewardship from God, but we have the capability to take care of it. And it wasn't just that he could classify all the animals. You know, he 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 had to be a phenomenal horticulturalist. <laughs> I think. You know. Yeah, I I I think of you know the link that I had was with the tree of life in Lehi's dream. Of course, it symbolizes the love of God as, as Nephi, Amen. right? And I think and we get the love of God through holding on to the word of God. That's right. Whether it's the word of the prophet, President Nelson, whether it's the word of, or whoever our prophet is at the time, right. or the scriptures. But right. we, we get to the love of God through the, through right. the scriptures. By enduring through the, through the mist, right? The, the rod is in the mist, right? Yeah. And, 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 and we find ourselves at, at the feet of that tree. Uh, of course, then we want to share it. But, but going back to, uh, just linking it back up to our, our original conversation around the creation and the purpose of it. Right, you know, men are they may have joy, and of course, this is my work and my glory. I can see the love in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do see some parallels. But I, I, I love your insight in that 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 they're a little distinct, they're a little different, um, but they do lead to eternal life, right? They are both very similar in in many many ways. I think the similarities are great. I also feel like. Um, Many times at life, and I don't want to just point the finger at other people. I can even look at my own self at times when you say, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Uh, You know, in the last six years, I've had five different kinds of cancer. And I feel like being able to step back and say, God is good. I know that that tree of life fruit is the most delicious of all. And anything I am going through now is going to be for my good. And so my trials become the means to draw closer to God. And, you know, my daughter one time said, I'm so grateful for my weaknesses because they take me to my knees. My strengths lead me on to do whatever I want. But Janie said, you know, it's my weaknesses that take me to my knees. And that's one reason why I am grateful for my weaknesses. Yeah, I, I, the fall... I, I see that imagery from traditional Christianity, right? Of, you know, Adam and Eve messed up and if it wasn't for them, we'd be fine, right? We'd be living in this garden. And from modern revelation, we say, you know, the fall is a necessary opposition, opposite in all things, right? Uh, we have to go through this mortality. Well, and they even say the, tr- the, the, the two trees, or Lehi mentions that the true trees were opposites, the tree of life and the tree of, of knowledge. Um but I don't see them as opposites. I see them as, um, well, maybe I'm just using a different word semantically, but I feel that both were needed. I think so. But they had to be used in God's sequence. And um, when Christ um, delegates this administration to the earth, um, you know, he, he removes himself to the degree that um, they have the opportunity to choose without his presence being right there. But... Um, it's so interesting to look at who does come in, though. I mean, this, the image of this serpent being this, I mean, just look at a snake now. They camouflage themselves. They, they bite at the neck. You know, they, the, the serpent is such an interesting image 
now, as we look, at least in our idea of what a snake is, it it, it fits in very much so uh, um, to the image that we understand of who Satan is. And he's not just a usurper. He's not just the counterfeit, um, but he was a being of light. And interestingly, in Hebrew, by the way, the root of the word for serpent um, has to do with one who shines. And I think that's why the root can also be understood in light of he's usurping because he's trying to be a type of Christ, as we see in Moses when he raises the brazen serpent to be healed, um, you know, on the on the rod. You know, we see this beautiful imagery, at least symbolically, of the crucifixion. You know, we see our Savior on the tree, on, on Moses' rod, and— um, Again, I see Christ in the Old Testament. I see him in the symbols of the creation, and I see him in the symbols that represented the creation later. And they help me tie together the Book of Mormon um, and even the images in ancient Mesoamerica of Quetzalcoatl. You know, Satan is trying to usurp a being of light, of shiny being, um, but the serpent obviously— also was a product of the fall and everything in the fall. You know, the earth is no longer in a celestial state. We are now in a uh, uh, in a fallen state. There is no Garden of Eden here. We have to work by the sweat of our brow. I, I want to spend a little more time talking about something you hit on briefly, but I think is so important to the human experience, which is how 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 can we see our trials as oh. blessings? I mean, it's easy to say, right? We oh, say it. it is such a blessing, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, how does I'll that... say it again. It's because we draw closer to Christ. We're closer to that fruit. I, I don't know if I have ever spelt, felt the Spirit more strongly and felt the love of God more than when I have gone through the process of sincerely repenting. And it wasn't for anything great. I, I slipped by a car one time and scratched him and didn't leave a note. I mean, it wasn't like I went out and, you know, did something horrendous, you know. But I... I felt so bad that I felt like my repentance was most grievous because I had denied a prompting that I had to leave a note for that person. And I was far more worried about denying guidance from God. And I have never felt more love from God than after those hours of praying in the middle of the night on the cold kitchen floor. I feel like that's why our trials are a blessing is because if we use them as a way of drawing closer to the Savior, we then can be surrounded, enveloped, warmed by the arms of God. Um, and even going back to the image of the Garden of Eden, when Adam partakes of the fruit and they realize that they've been naked, you know, they've tried to cover themselves and their covering is insufficient. And, you know, Satan says, hide from God. Adam says, I can do this myself. And God says, I've got a better way. Let me make a covering for you. And the word covering is, the root word anyway of the word cover is endow. It's the same root word as endow. You know, God is going to cover us. Kafar, atone is kafar, is covering. We have this ability to be covered by the atoning sacrifice of our Savior. And as we look at the Garden of Eden in the sense that he is going to now slay an animal and those skins are going to be used, I assume that perhaps that animal was used as a sacrifice and Adam was taught something in the Garden of Eden about the law of sacrifice and the law of obedience. I'm just making this assumption from the accounts that we have um, in the temple as well as our three um, biblical accounts, that he is then given this promise that if you will remain covered by the atonement, salvation can be made. 
and you will be able to enter into my presence again. But it's done with this beautiful symbolism of being clothed in clothing that is sufficient. Christ's atonement is sufficient. Atone, kafar, covering, endow. It's all beautifully intertwined together in our understanding of the fall in the restoration. Yeah, I, I, I use this analogy fairly frequently about, you know, uh, getting in the pool, right? You know, when you first get in, it's terribly freezing, <laughs> right? Yeah. But then, and so you feel that, um, but uh, when you're in there for a while, uh, you, you get used to it, yeah. right? The water has, temperature hasn't changed much. And I feel that that's so true, especially in my life around, you know, the blessings that I've been given. So I, I think about this in in, Amen. in, in, yeah. in the gardens, like, you know, you're, you're living in this place trial-free, right? Uh-huh. But you don't know that it's paradise. Uh-huh. It's nice. Because there's no opposition there's, It's nice, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this fall, you, which is, had to have been a terrible experience, right? Just I can't imagine yeah. what yeah. that's like going and understanding it. But then, you know, having those, you still keep those memories, right? And, and in my mind, I hope so. I hope uh, so. You know, or even, you know, you, you know, in my own life, like, you know, um, the bad times wake me up to the good times, right? And those memories that I've had and created uh, are just treasured more. They mean more. And so they keep, you know, there's there's more depth. And from a from a spiritual point of view, just as you were saying, just to, to add my thoughts to that, you know, my trials have been my greatest source of growth, um, especially from a young age. And when that's happened, I've genuinely felt the joy that comes from being close to the Lord, right? And that gate just happens to be a trial. Sometimes it's physical, right? Sometimes, more often than not, in my case, it's been spiritual. And sometimes it's through the faults of others, right? Someone treating me poorly or or, or whatnot. Or, and sometimes it, I'm just being a and bonehead. And we have to use right? patience, though. Because right? it, lots With ourselves of times, and others. Yeah, because right? lots of times I feel like... Um, the Lord's timing is our preparation. So sometimes we say, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord's timing. And sometimes we wait passively, but we have to wait actively. We have to be the best we can. And then oftentimes that's the Lord's timing. He's the gardener. He's trying to help us grow. And as I look back at the Garden of Eden and the fall, um, you know, Eve does not say that statement about, oh, I'm so glad we did this immediately. And neither does Adam. You know, these are, look at, you look, look at your account in Genesis. These are separated by the birth of their children, the death of Cain, the, I mean, the death of Abel and, and Cain's falling away and then clear down to Seth being born. I mean, you know, there are generations born before Eve says that. I feel like they're just telescopes. We get the whole picture in one sort of like, you know, the nativity narratives with the wise men and the shepherds together. But I really feel like, um, by, by being patient and trusting God. I mean, if we really get that that ability to understand the nature of God down deep in our core, it's easier to say, I will go where you want me to go, and I will do what you want me to do no matter how long it takes and what it, what it requires. And Adam and Eve are taken from the garden with that hope that they will be able to work it out over time. But they don't get that realization for a There's a lot of thorns <laughs> to overcome. But I, I want to talk about one of the translations there. It's in, um, you know, Adam's told, um, I'm sorry, you had the responsibility to take care of the garden. You didn't take care of it. So now you're going to have a hard time. And Eve, you said you wanted to leave um, and you want to go have kids. So it's going to be a little bit harder to have kids than you realize. And um, in fact, it's going to be real painful. And I want you 
Eve, in the King James Version, to obey your husband and he will rule over you. But that is not in the Hebrew. And I really appreciate that it fit into the King James theology that's being translated by these Calvinists and the generation of, that, of the text at the time. And, but most translations have a theological undertone of the translator. And that's why I really appreciate this new translation called the Transparent English Bible. It says, it's as literal as it can be. They call Adam the soil man. And, you know, the name Eve means life or living. It doesn't mean, it's not the word Eve. It's not her name. It, it's, it goes, you know, we can learn actually that, well, I did that from studying Hebrew. It doesn't say that in the Transparent English Bible. But uh, the first time I read Genesis, I, I realized Eve is life. Eve is living. You know, it's beautiful. But the Lord tells her, um, you have got to rule. And then there's this little Hebrew word. And it can be translated with, over, under, around, about. You know, it's like in French, a maison d'être verb or something. You know, it's, it's a verb that can be used in many ways depending on your theology. So the transparent English Bible says, Eve, you have got to learn to work with Adam. You will rule with Adam is the way they've translated. So I call one of my favorite Hebrew professors. He immediately says, oh, definitely, 100%. You know, he's, he he's lives in Jerusalem, studied Hebrew all of his life, and, and he says, oh, that's a, that's a very accurate translation, to rule with someone. And to me, that is one of the benefits of the fall, is, you know, in the Jewish tradition at the time of the Jesus, they write up this tradition of what they think Adam and Eve is, and they think the Garden of Eden is segregated. They think men and women are to be kept apart, and the only time they get in trouble is when they come together. You know, they have a very different view of the garden <laughs> than we do. But, uh, and I see one of the benefits of the fall is saying, you've got to learn to work together with humanity. You know, and whether or not you have a spousal relationship, if you have a ward relationship or a community relationship or a roommate relationship, I want you to learn to work together. And as I look at modern revelation, I see that translation of Eve, I want you to rule with Adam very consistent with Latter-day Prophets. I have a whole sheet. Um, actually, I have a handout with this that I can attach of Latter-day Prophets statements on, we don't want a vice president and president in marriage. We are on equal footing. There's no patriarchy and matriarchy in marriage. You know, it is equality as we come forth with each different strengths. Um, so I really appreciate not only the Lord's timing in the fall itself, but the Lord's timing in understanding our hardships, our, our relationships of, of working to things together and enduring the challenges that life brings. Because we're here to grow. We're not here to have an easy time. I mean, we, didn't, we weren't sent here to earth right. to go ice skating. You know, this, right. the whole reason why we're here is to grow. How are we going to grow without stretching our muscles, without developing, as Joseph was taught in Liberty Jail? Patience, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, love unfeigned. Yeah, and it's in human nature, right? We, we, we seek challenges, right? In our hobbies, in our, in our work. In our in, sports. In our sports, exactly. All these things we— In our music. Right. We, we, seek, we seek the difficult, um, and I think that's part of our divine nature. That's right? wonderful. I right? love that. Yeah. Well, it's been exciting to talk about the fall with you. Yeah. And agency and right. the creation. And most of all, to— um, to see our God in a way that um, enables us to bow the, our necks and bend our knees before him and honor him as not only the great creator, but the one who will provide the atoning sacrifice um, to allow us to repent and live again, partake of that tree of life. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for your time. Um, next time we'll be talking actually uh, about Cain and Abel and uh, and the consequences more oh, about the fall, right? That's, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that yeah. one. Look forward to hearing you from yeah. you then. All right. Thank you. God bless you.